We have finally made it. I feel a bit sad, I'll be honest. It's the last of our Elijah series. I love Elijah. I probably can't bring another Elijah series for like six or seven years now. I might not even be here. Come on. Who knows? Um, But I've loved digging into Elijah. I hope you have too. We are at the end of this extraordinary uh, series. We entitled the series Hungry. Lessons from the life of Elijah. And if you remember, all those weeks ago, I spoke about hungering after God. And we have journeyed with Elijah through ups and downs. And we are finally at the end of the story of Elijah. Or are we? I'll come back to that. But what an incredible ending it is. Seriously, Elijah has come to the end of his life. Without doubt, he is about to go in one of the most spectacular ways you could ever imagine. Seriously. Um, Our reading, if you notice, wastes absolutely no time. It it can't wait till the end. It has to tell you at the beginning. It goes, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, and then carries on. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Hang on a second there. Did I read that right? Yes, Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And not only that, but he's going to be accompanied by flaming chariots of fire and horses of fire. The the Lord's armies, heaven's armies as he ascends to go and be with his God. It's a truly extraordinary, spectacular ending to a spectacular life. But before we go there and rush ahead, I want us to think about this passage from a slightly different point of view. View. I'm just going to see if this works for me, June. Um, let me get my little slide handout so I can see what I'm doing. Oh, is this one not on, John? My little wonder mic. I'll try and stay still, but I find it hard. I'm a bit of a wriggler and a walker arounder. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how still I can say. For folks at home, it's easier if I stay still, isn't it? Uh, I find it hard. Right, so here's a different point of view. This uh, half-term, just gone, we managed uh, as a family to get to London for two days. And one of the big surprises, we didn't tell the kids till the day before, the night before, uh, and then expected them to sleep. That wasn't very wise. Uh, was that we were going to a show. We were going to go and see a London show. Now, we've never been to a London show with them before. And this wasn't just any show. You can keep your cats. You can keep your les miserables. This was Back to the Future. Come on! Back to the Future, the greatest movie ever made, it's true, um, has been turned into a musical. And it's incredible. It actually was really, really good. Now, if you haven't seen Back to the Future, where have you been in the last 37 years? I'm 37 years old, or 36 and a bit, uh, so it must be 36 and a half years ago. It was made in the year I was born, and it has been my favourite film since I was a kid. I had a VHS recorded off ITV, or probably wasn't ITV back then, whatever it was called, Channel 3, and I used to just play this over and over and over again. I know all the words to it. And if you haven't seen it, basically, it involves these two characters, Dr. Emmett Brown, an elder, um, crazy professor, and his friend... Marty, a youngster, a teenage lad living in the 80s in America. And Dr. Emmett Brown finally invents something that works. He makes a time machine out of a DeLorean. Yes, he does. Absolutely amazing, iconic 80s car, which he turns into a time machine. And to cut a long story short, 
Because it won't spoil it, because you know that there's Back to the Future 2 and 3, so you know it all works out pretty much all right in the end. Um, but to get a long story short, Marty, the young lad, accidentally gets in the time machine and goes back to the 1950s and gets stuck there, and then he uh, meets his parents and ruins his own family history, and he has to put it all back right before he comes back to 1985 again, and all is well. It is an amazing story. Now, to say I love it is an understatement. Those who remember me as the youth pastor may remember this wonderful piece of clothing. I love Marty so much. Check out that red gilet. I bought myself my own red gilet about 17 or 18 years ago, so I can feel like Marty McFly. Um, I've never worn a tie and a gilet before, but there is a first for everything. Today is it. And when Mig and Ewan and I took a visit to Northern Ireland on a uh, spiritual retreat, and it was a very spiritual thing we did, um, we happened to come across a load of DeLoreans parked in a car park. And I, uh, literally like a kid in a sweet shop, I insisted that we all reenacted the cover of Back to the Future, which you can see there uh, in front of one of these DeLoreans. But why am I telling you all this about Back to the Future this morning? Well, there are two reasons. Firstly, is that just like in today's text, Back to the Future ends in the most... I'm not keeping that on, I'm going to boil up. I'm going to see the sweat start pouring down. Ends in the most spectacular way. Just as you think everything is done and dusted and Marty has fixed everything and he's home again, Doc explodes back onto the scene in his car and jumps in and goes, Marty, you've got to come back with me. Why? Where? We're going to go back to the future. And basically, he's been to the future. He comes back, he says, you've got to go and fix it all. And just when you think it's all there, they get in the car and, uh, and the car's got to go 88 miles an hour to go back in time. And, uh, and Marty goes, Doc, you're going to need to back up. You need more road to get to 88 miles an hour. And uh, Doc says very calmly, roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. He's been to the future, older the car, unbeknownst to us, the car, the wheels tuck in, the car now lifts up in beautiful 1980s special effects and flies forward, turns around, flies at the camera and, and, and the whole credits roll. It is a spectacular ending. I mean, let's see it. Here it is. Come on. <laughs> We better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. How good is that? I mean, it's not a chariot of fire, but it's not far off. You can see where I was going. It's not just... But actually, someone say stretching. I'm not stretching anything. Um, okay, maybe a little. But actually, um, there is a second and more important reason why I love this movie. And, and it's another reason why I mention it this morning. Because, yes, it's got cars, it's got science, it's got adventure, it's got amazing 1980s rock music by Huey Lewis and the News. It is amazing. But actually, one of the most lasting impressions on me as a little lad watching this movie all through my life, over and over again... And one of the things which uh, impressed upon me and resonated with me and resonates with our passage today, actually, is the friendship between Doc and Marty. An unexpected friendship here between an old, kind of, uh, older generation crazy scientist and this young lad. And this is a moment where they hug 
Um, and you can just see these two characters have deep affection for one another. And here is a movie that shows a genuine camaraderie between an old professor and a young friend, a friendship from one generation to another, a true friendship where Marty needed Doc's wisdom and help and support, and Doc cared for him like a son, and Doc passes on to Marty all the help and advice and inspiration, but Doc also appreciates his friendship back so much. Together, they have an amazing adventure. And as we turn to our passage... Before we get to our spectacular ending, we must first notice that the text presents us with something less showy, but just as profound, a profound companionship, a true friendship, actually, between the generations that Elijah enjoyed in his final days. Did you notice it? I read the first sentence again. There's so much even in this one. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. In these last days, Elijah knows this is a final journey. It's one final journey. And he appears to be putting things in order. But instead of taking these final steps alone, instead of treading a lonely path, there right beside him is this young prophet, if you remember, who he called after encountering God in the cave at Mount Horeb. He then went and called Elisha to come and learn from him. And as part of his journey, Elijah decides to travel from Gilgal to three different places, Bethel, Jericho, the River Jordan. And he visits the schools of the young prophets, where in each of them, um, I'm guessing he's there to uh, pass on some final words before he goes. And there were schools of prophets in each of these places he went to. But interestingly, at each place we heard in the reading, he says to Elisha, you can stay here, it's okay. All right, Uh, you don't have to come with me now. And some speculate when I was reading the commentaries, oh, this is a test from Elijah to see if Elisha truly is his, you know, the next prophet. But I wonder whether there's something a little bit more human going on here. I wonder if dear old Elijah just hadn't quite realised he'd underestimated the impression, the depth of the impression he'd made on young Elisha, the depth of friendship that they truly had. For every time Elijah says he need not come, Elisha insists, as surely, it's such a lovely ancient insisting sentences, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Don't you get it, dear old Elijah? I'm going nowhere, matey. I'm your friend. I'm coming. See, ever since the day he called him, Elijah had been encouraging, teaching and inspiring his young friend passing on knowledge and wisdom from one man to another, from one generation to the next. Elijah had been passing on the baton. And there's no doubt that he too would have been blessed by the, the youthful energy, the care, the companionship that Elisha gave back. Here are two men, one old and one young, both with something to offer in this friendship. The writer of Proverbs catches it so well. The glory of the young is their strength. The grey hair of experience is the splendour of the old. Glory and splendour. Strength and experience. You see, in the kingdom of God, and I want to say this quickly and move on, but this is profound. In the kingdom of God, the richness of friendships reach across the divide of age. Remember that, folks. Has it ever dawned on you that when we're in glory, we'll be laughing and conversing 
not just with the next generation before us, but with every generation before us. Victorians, Middle Ages people, I don't know what you even call them, uh, Romans, that's good history knowledge, Matt, well done, go for the easy one. But you know what I'm saying, um, age will not limit any one of us, our hearts filled with love for Jesus and worship for the Lord and King will draw us together into true companionship. And I just want to encourage you, church, that you don't have to wait until then. If you're young, look around a family like this. It's such a privilege. And notice and think of the blessing you can be to the older generation and more importantly, the blessing they can be to you. Make conversation, ask questions, find friendships. Why life groups are really great because they're a mix of all sorts. And if you're older now and rejoice in the next generation that God's raising up to take on the battle and let them have it, pass it on bless them with your love, support and encouragement and be blessed by them just as they will be by you it's a profound example, I love it in this last little glimpse into Elijah's life on earth Elijah and Elisha who walked together in a season of companionship for the Lord's work well, also in his final days, Elijah knows this season must now end. Elijah knew his time was up. And actually, it appears he was quite content with the fact he has a deep peace. Instead of panicking and rushing around, everything he was doing had a sense of quiet orderliness, confidence. This was no random journey he was on. The Lord was leading him from place to place. A journey full of rich significance in the history of Israel. And I'll go through really quickly here. Keep up if you can. They went from Gilgal, which was the first stopping place when Israel entered the land after crossing the Jordan miraculously. Then they went to Bethel, uh, which is the place where Jacob encountered God. You remember Jacob's ladder, the angels descending and ascending. An extremely important place in history of Israel. Bethel to Jericho. Well, we know what Jericho was. It was the first place that fell to Joshua. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You know that one. I know that one. And then finally, Jordan. Uh, the River Jordan, the place where God's people first crossed and entered the promised land. The river stopped flowing for them, if you remember, to allow them to cross. Um, it is as if Elijah is revisiting so much of Israel's stories, reminding himself of the faithfulness of God over the years, the promises of God over the years the leading of God over the years. And he knows that just as God led his people, he will lead him now in these final days, in this final moment. I know it may sound strange, but Elijah had a deep peace about dying because he knew where he was going. And that may sound strange to be content about passing on. But so many elderly Christians, I've had the privilege of being there in their last days and I've spoken with them near the end of their lives and they've had a deep peace about them so it seems here with Elijah he had lived his life well he could say what Paul would later write to his young companion Timothy I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I've kept the faith and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness and with this deep peace Elijah journeys with Elisha to these final destinations and interestingly, if you notice, at each one, the schools of the prophets come out and they start panicking. I don't know if Elijah went in first and said, look, I'm, the Lord's going to take me. And they just rush out to find Elisha and go, are you aware of this? Or whether they already knew the Lord had told them uh, prophetically. It's quite possible it's either. But either way, they come rushing up to Elisha. 
and say, don't you know? Elijah's going to die. The Lord's going to take him. And Elisha just simply says, I know. Be still. Be quiet. Hush. It's okay. Elisha had picked up on this peace. You see, it's perhaps one of the hardest things to understand if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't have a living and real faith in the God of all eternity, the safest pair of hands we can ever be held by. It's hard to understand that kind of peace. You can find peace in the moment of passing. For there is such peace in knowing that all our days, the Bible says, are held in his hands. And when we go, we go at his timing and his calling, safe in his care, and we enter into his presence. doesn't stop it being so deeply sad for those left behind. We grieve our loss, but we know that the one who has gone to be with Jesus is in a place far better than we could ever imagine. A place where there is no more suffering, no more tears, no more fear, no more anxiety. There is only joy. There is only love. There is only the depths of peace and celebration. And so, finally, Elijah and Elisha stand looking at the beautiful river Jordan. And 50 young prophets are stood at a distance just to keep an eye on what is going to happen here. And in this moment, Elijah does something quite remarkable. We read he took his cloak... And he rolled it up. Oh, look. Here you go. Good illustration there. He took his gilet. He took his cloak. He rolled it up and he struck the water with it. And the water divided to the left and to the right, we read. And the two of them crossed on dry land. Out of context, this is pretty amazing. Dividing river just like that. It's pretty cool. But with the context that I've painted of the richness of Israel's history in our minds, we immediately think of the parting of the Red Sea, don't we? Moses leading them out of Egypt or away from the Egyptian army. And we remember the time when they came into the Promised Land where Joshua led the people and he told them, go and walk into the river with the Ark of the Covenant and the river stopped and parted again that they may enter in. And Elijah now does the same and in a way, he's just simply showing that there's the same power of God is still at work today as it was in the days of old. These aren't just fairy tales or history stories. God's still at work in the same ways. But I think there's even more significance to this. I wonder, as we look, at, look back at the times God parted waters, every time he did, it was a moment of entering into something greater, something better. It was a mark of stepping into something more, something more amazing and now as Elijah parts the waters and this time he crosses back over the Jordan he's actually exiting the promised land at this point he's doing it in reverse but I wonder if he's saying my time here in this promised land is over but a destination even better lies ahead for me what is to come is even greater than what I have known so far as I go to be with the Lord on a day where we remember those of the generations before us who have fought for us, so many have died for us, for our freedom and our blessing, it seems right that we remember that great legacy can be passed on from one generation to the next. And that we remember also the amazing truth that the final place of beauty and rest that all those who trust in Jesus will know 
is far greater than anything we have known before. So, here we are. A spectacular end to a spectacular life. And I tell you, not a single artist that I found on Google Images did this justice. I just gave up. So, look, there's a nice fiery horse just to allow your imagination to try and capture what happened because the paintings just look wooden. They just don't get the wow moment of this. Having crossed the Jordan on dry land, Elijah and Elisha begin to walk and talk together the other side. And the old master asks his young friend a question, tell me, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And filled with eagerness and passion, Elisha catches Elijah a little bit uh, by surprise, I think. He boldly asks, right then, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. What a request. Elijah, let me have a double portion of what you've got. (laughs) I love it. It's the request of a son to a father. Let me inherit your name that I may take it further and do the things you did and even more. And Elijah, well, he's like, well, steady on. This is no easy ask you've asked here. He says it's difficult, Elisha, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. Elijah realises this is no superpower. He can just gift to Elisha. It's not how it works. This is about the faith that's within Elisha to receive the anointing of the Spirit of God upon him. But he's going to need faith, passion and hunger for God. Without this, he couldn't do any of it. But if he has the faith to see, his eyes are open to the realities of the heavenly realm in that moment, then the mantle will have been passed on. And now we read, as they were walking along, talking together, that beautiful final image of two friends, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, again, that father-son relationship, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more and he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. I mean, what a moment. What a true blockbuster finale for an absolute hero of the faith. Better, yes, I admit, than a flying car. Elisha, in this moment, was able to glimpse into the reality of the heavenly realms. This wasn't a made-up moment. This isn't special effects. This isn't 1980s movies. This is a real moment where Elisha caught a glimpse into the glory and the splendor of the heavenly realms and saw his beloved master taken up to be with God. But why the big send-off, hey? I mean, we could leave it there and go, that's it, folks. That's it, Elijah's gone, thank you very much. But why the big send-off? Why did he get this remarkable finale? Well, as I reflect on it, I think it just makes something really clear, doesn't it? That this ordinary, broken man called Elijah, who was human just as we are. Do you remember we started the sermon series by saying that? Well, he'd actually done something really significant in the eyes of God. He'd been born at a time of great hardship, time of struggle and oppression, but he'd not stood by, he'd stood up. He'd not acquiesced or said, man, there's nothing I can do. Broken as he was, vulnerable as he was at times, he believed in God and he put his faith into action. 
Elijah was alive at a tipping point moment. And interestingly, COP26, all the climate stuff, we're talking of a tipping point. We need to make sure we don't go past a tipping point. Well, he was at a spiritual tipping point for Israel. And the nation could have gone one way or the other in their relationship with God. And something needed to happen. There was greed and poverty, oppression, injustice and pagan religion abounding everywhere. From the very top, it was rotten. And instead of bemoaning being born at a time like this and going how awful it is, nothing I can do. Elijah got hungry. He got hungry for God, hungry for goodness, for righteousness, for truth, for joy. All the things that the enemy was trying to steal from Israel. There was a war raging and Elijah knew it was time for him to join the battle. With an equal measure of hunger and faith, he left a mark that would never be forgotten. One great commentator wrote this, Without Moses, the religion of Yahweh, of God, of the Lord, as it figured in the Old Testament, would never have been born. But without Elijah, it would have died. Elijah is an example of the impact that one life truly hungry for God can really have. And Elisha recognises the enormous loss to himself and to the nation as he tears his garment into Elijah is gone. His time's done. So what now? It's that moment of calm and sorrow and realisation. His friend is gone. The mighty prophet's gone. So what now? That season, that Elijah season was gone. Well, Yes, the option to look upon the life of Elijah and go, wow, you are amazing, but you're gone now. Or he can look upon the life of Elijah and hunger for the truth that Elijah knew and be inspired by a life that had made such an impact. And that's what Elisha decided to do. He chose to pick up the garment which had fallen. I love that. This Sheila is very helpful. Um, the garment that had fallen as Elijah was taken up. He chose to pick it up, this trusty cloak of his master. And he goes and he stands in front of the River Jordan, which is flowing again now. So either way, he's going to have to embarrassingly swim across or wade across. He's got to do something because he's got to get back the other side. And he asks now one of my favourite questions in the whole of Scripture. He asks this. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And this question can be asked in two ways, and this is the first way we could ask it, with resignation and sorrow. Where is the God of Elijah? Melancholy. No one is coming. See, not one of us here would say that our lives in this world are all they would hope to be. Each one of us would recognise that Part of being human is to have a deep yearning in this life, a yearning for the world to be better somehow. We think of the pain of war and suffering, of climate crisis, of greed and corruption all over the news, the powerful lying and manipulating to keep control whilst little children and their mums and dads are shivering and suffering at the borders of lands that are putting up walls to stop them going anywhere. We see illness and cancer and pandemic and we've realised what suffering is, and we've struggled, and we've been battered, and we yearn for a better world. 
how we yearn. And we can end up asking, where is the God of Elijah in all of this? And we can recognise that this yearning isn't just for our world, but also inside of us. There is a deeper yearning in all of our hearts, a hollow that we long to be filled as we recognise our own brokenness, our own struggle, our own part to play in the suffering, our own ability to stuff up, to sin, to lie, to hurt, our own exhaustion, our fear, our sense of inadequacy and shame. And we ask, where is the God of Elijah? Friends, this deep yearning is in every person. So many try to fill it or hide it or pretend it's not there, but actually it's a yearning after God that's at the heart of all humans. It's how we are made. 1,600 years ago, Augustine, just again, a Christian like us, he ended up in serious leadership in the Christian, early Christian church, but he wrote this, you've made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I wonder, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Is your heart restless this morning? And I'll go quick now as we come into land, but there is another way of saying this question. Instead of resignation and sorrow, instead of yearning and saying, where is the God of Elijah? Has he abandoned us? We can still have the yearning within us. And we can still ask the same question, but we can ask the question filled with faith and expectation, with hunger. Things are tough right now. We are struggling right now. It hurts right now. I'm confused right now. So where is the God of Elijah? He's the one we need. And this is how Elisha asked it. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and in the same way he struck the water. Where now is the God of Elijah? He asked And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Right here was the answer. Right here. Where is the God of Elijah? Right here with you, Elisha. Right now. You see, God has not abandoned us. In fact, the notion that God has abandoned us is so far from the truth. It is the opposite of the truth. He journeyed from the glory and beauty of heaven down to come and walk with us in our broken, messy world. He became like us to dwell with us. He bled and he died and he fought on that cross for each one of us to reach us. And having conquered death for us, having taken the power and eternal consequences of sin and shame away, he's now running after us. He's running after you after each and every one of us tuned in or gathered this morning, chasing us, calling us, longing for us to realise that he is drawing near, coming close, wanting us to know his love and to live a life empowered by him that will make an eternal difference in this hurting, broken world. You might sometimes be tempted to feel no one's coming, but I want to tell you this morning, he has already come. He is already here. The sovereign Lord God, the majestic, mighty one. He is here. The one who loves us more than we could ever know. He is here by the presence of his Holy Spirit. He loves to draw near. And I'm going to finish this up now and we're going to sing our last song in a moment. But I want to make this point. We started our series by saying if there was one distinguishing factor about Elijah, it was this. 
He was hungry for God. Hungry for God to show up in his time and his life. Hungry for the Lord's name to be honoured and for people to know their true king. And in Elisha, that hunger was passed on. And now the baton passes on to us guys. It's our turn to hunger after God. Jesus calls us to be a people who are hungry too. Hungry for the kingdom of God to come more and more in fullness in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our world. This is how you should pray, Jesus said. Let your kingdom come, Father. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And like Elisha, we're allowed to ask for a double portion, it turns out. Jesus said, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you good things or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? Let's see it, friends. Let's press in rather than make excuses and sit back at such a difficult time. Let's hunger for the God of Elijah. Let's hunger for the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's take that step of faith and risk for the waters needed to be struck before they would part. Very truly, Jesus said, whoever has faith in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father, because I'm sending the Spirit. Because we will live in you. We will be with you. It's time to get hungry. So friends, I said at the beginning, this was the end of the story of Elijah. Well, you'll see now it's not the end of the story. Far from it. Every generation that's been inspired by Elijah's story, every generation inspired by his hunger and his faith, continue his story. And now Advent is coming up. I want to invite you just to get hungry. It's a time of hungering, of waiting, of of hungering after the object of our desire, Jesus. So I invite you to press in more as we prepare for all the Lord has in the year to come. I don't know if Mark's going to be able to come next week, but we're taking steps forward as we can, even in this difficult time. But let's recognise we're at the beginning of a new series, uh, of a new season. And it's a season where we either sit back and acquiesce and say, we can't do this. Or we get filled with faith and expectation. We get hungry. It will be different. Church will be different. We've been battered and bruised, all of us, for the last two years. But let us ask this question. Let us look around, let us look inside, and let us as a church together say, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And together, let's take the next step of faith and see all he wants to do in the new season that we have now entered into. Shall we pray? Can I invite you to stand and Mark and Mig to come together? We're going to finish here. Just close your eyes for a moment. And I want to ask you, is your heart yearning and hungering this morning? Is it restless? If it is, you will not find your rest anywhere other than in Jesus. You were made for him. Each one of us was made for more. 
He has plans for us. Are you hungering for a situation that needs change? Healing? Something at home? Friendship? Anxiety? Lord, I ask, would you come now? And would you give the gift of faith? And would you move in these situations? Where is the God of Elijah? Thank you, Lord, that your answer is right here. Is your heart hungry for him? Do you sense your eyes have opened a bit this morning? Have you seen like Elisha saw? And as we sing this song, can I invite you just to give God your yes, maybe for the first time, maybe to renew it again. I trust you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I surrender to you, Jesus.